Turn with me, please. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning to read at verse 29. Matthew 24, verse 29, please. The Lord Jesus is the speaker. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Notice after the tribulation, not before the tribulation. Just take note. Jesus said that, not some preacher in Donaclonelum. Immediately after the tribulation in those days, it means you're going to see tribulation, brother. You're not going to be whisked away like will o' the wisp and see nothing about it. Jesus said after. Thank the Lord for his divine appointments and his great grace and protection upon our lives when these things come. Notice what it says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Notice, after the tribulation now, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. That's after the tribulation, not before it. His elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Now learn the parable of a fig tree. When his branches yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Let's pray. Father, take your own word now, I pray, and inscribe it on every heart tonight. We ask you, Lord, to enable us to realize and know the days that we are living in, the days of the imminent, the days of the soon return of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, that you would Touch hearts tonight and strengthen your people. Encourage them in their faith. But we ask you, Lord, that you would give us fresh light, Lord, and illumination of heart. And we ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, that if there would be one here that has not yet come to the foot of the cross, and Lord, give their life to you to be ready for the second coming of the Lord. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to enable them tonight. Give them deciding grace. Impart unto them, Lord, that grace, Lord, which is irresistible, that they will be unable, Lord, to resist the calling of God. Father, awaken our hearts and awaken our minds and awaken us tonight. And glorify your Son in all that is said tonight. Glorify him, he alone, who is worthy, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Knowing the days we live in, part 11. The Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 and in Mark chapter 13. He tells us of what it will be like when he returns again. What will the earth be like? What will humanity be like? What will the nations be like? What will society be like? What will mankind be like when he returns again? In our chapter, in Matthew chapter 24, and the Lord Jesus has come out of the great temple. And his disciples are saying how great the temple is, but that temple would be 
made null and void in AD 70 after the Jews rejected Christ and called for his crucifixion. And Titus the Roman prince would come and tear down the temple stone by stone. As they set the temple on fire, the gold melted, went down between the bricks, and so he ordered the temple to be taken down. Not one stone was left upon another. I have a bit of shocking news for you. I've told some of you it before. But you know the Wailing Wall they're out in Jerusalem? That's not the temple. Shocked you? If it is the temple, Jesus got it wrong. For he said one stone would not be left upon another. And Jesus never gets it wrong. That is actually a retaining wall of where the walls were, the hillside was of an old temple. That is not the temple itself, I'm afraid to say. Anyhow, the Lord Jesus says that not one stone would be left upon another, and the temple would be torn down. In Matthew chapter 24, his disciples decide to ask him a question in verse 3. It says, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, so he goes out the city, across the Kidron Valley, and a brook, the brook Kidron, and into the Mount of Olives. He saith, and sat, he's, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, notice what they asked, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? The word for world there is not cosmos, this system of things. That means what shall be the sign when the age is closing? What shall be the sign of the oion when the age is closing? So the Lord starts to give a whole discourse and he does mention AD 70 when Titus would come and he mentions things that would happen and he actually tells them that when you see Jerusalem encompassed about with armies, you see if they see Jerusalem encompassed about with armies then how are they meant to flee to the mountains? And yet we're told in the writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian, that something miraculous happened that the Roman legions came and encircled the whole of Jerusalem and there was no way out. And for some reason, Josephus says, for no reason at all, they seemed to withdraw. Titus withdrew his troops, left an opening and every Christian that obeyed the word of God, every man and woman that heard the words of Christ and obeyed, they escaped and they ran to the mountains and were saved. You see, even in the tribulation, God is able to cover you. God is able to give you great help and great covering and great strength and great protection. Think of the three Hebrew children in the flames, the fire that was heated up seven times hotter. And behold, there was a fourth figure appeared. A fourth man was in the fire. There wasn't even a smell of smoke about them when they come out. The fourth one was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God himself. God is able to keep you safe and to protect you in all of these things. So here we have the, 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 the Lord telling them that there would happen around AD 70 that there would be a desolation that would come spoken by the prophet Daniel. And then he goes on to tell us about the end of the world and what our people will be like at the end of the world. Matthew chapter 24. If you let your eye run down, please, to verse 32. He gives us one of the major signs of the end times. Now learn the parable of a fig tree. When our branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh, even at the door. The Lord Jesus says when the fig tree puts forth leaves, you'll know that summer is nigh or near, it's even at the door. In other words, that's when I'm coming. I'm coming, my coming is close My coming is nigh, my coming is near, I am even at the door. What does he mean by the fig tree? The fig tree was a symbol of Judah or Jewry. The fig tree became a symbol of the Jews. And he says there will come a time 
when the Jews will return again. And when they return again, that is a sign that I am near even at the doors. Now I have told you before, and I'll tell you again, the Jews returning to Palestine, to the Holy Land, is not for a picnic. They are, and I'll show you in a moment, they are the reason there's going to be global warfare. They're coming, and they're going, there's going to be a whole start there of the battle of Armageddon, or the, the battle of that great day of God Almighty. All because of this little nation of Zionist Jews manipulating and moving nations one to the other. And there will be a great battle around that area. Jesus said when the fig tree shows forth its leaves. Remember our Lord in the week when he was crucified. He was going into Jerusalem. And what happened? He sees a fig tree. He goes to take some fruit of it, some figs. And as he goes under that great big tree, maybe 16 foot high, he comes under its branches, its foliage is out. His branches are stretched forth and the leaves and the foliage look rich. He comes to take of the fruit and finds none on it. And he curses the fig tree and within the day the fig tree has withered and died. That was a sign of what was happening when the Jews would reject him and send him to the cross to bleed and die. And that was a symbol of the falling of the Jews or their temple being destroyed in AD 70. He says, when the fig tree shoots forth its branches again, know that summer is nigh, even at the doors. Now we have taken you over the last 10, this is the 11th week, and we have shown you the empires and the kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persian kingdom, we have shown you Alexander the Great's Grecian empire, we have shown the Roman empire, and then we come across toward the west, and the little horn of the west coming out for the 10 toes, uh, of iron and of clay that will not mix together showing it right into the European Union today and the papal Roman Empire revived Roman Empire through the papacy the ecclesiastical empire and as we have shown you that we've also shown you the little horn of the east of the Islamic Empire and all of the Arab nations and how they are, how they are rising up and we showed you how the Turkish Islamic Ottoman Empire ruled Jerusalem Right up until A.D. 1917. Remember the seven times punishment of Judah. And the seven times punishment was 2,520 years. And we showed you how from 604 B.C. Right the whole way when you count 2,520 years. Brings you to the year 1917. When General Allenby sent in the the number 14 bomber squadron without firing a shot, dropping a bomb, liberating Jerusalem that finished the times of the Gentiles, the seven times. And that was when the Balfour Declaration was written up with, with Lord Balfour and Cam Wiseman and they, they, they constructed this Zionist agenda. But here's the thing, if you read the Balfour Declaration online, it says that the Palestinians were allowed to live and other religions to live in the land of Israel without fear or favor of others. Read it for yourself. That's what it was struck up under. And so from 1917, we had the Jews returning to Palestine. We had them in flux coming in. And many Khazari Jews came from the north. And of course, that's where a lot then of the trouble comes for. Many of them have not one ounce of Judaite nor Israelite blood in their veins. And that's where a lot of the trouble is coming from also. So here our Lord says that you will see the fig tree when her branch is yet tender. It means when her branch is young. And in 1948, we have what's known as the Israeli state. A young nation is born. A young nation begins. And even in nationhood uh, today, what are we, 50, 60 years down the line? And it's still a young nation when you compare it to others. Surely the fig tree is stretching forth 
her branches. They're yet tender and there's foliage there. They look like they're godly. They look the part. We Are we not the Jews, the people, the, I'll put it in brackets, the chosen of God, and yet they reject in mass and nationality the Lord Jesus Christ? Now that's the truth of the matter when we come down to the crux of it. There's foliage, but there's no fruit. Now some are getting saved. What we would term as Messianic Jews, some are getting saved. You see, the fig tree returning is the global timepiece. It is the blue touch paper which draws all nations against it and against each other. And then Ezekiel chapter 38 and the 39, we have looked at it before. The Lord talks about Gog, Magog, Meshach and Tubal coming against the land of Israel. Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tubal is Russia and the steppes of Russia and Meshach and Tubal is believed to be the ancient names for Moscow and Tobolsk. It is directly north of the land of Israel and it says out of the north parts in the latter years Russia will think an evil thought and come against it. Comes against it with Persia which is Iran. Comes against it with Ethiopia that is black Africa and then Libya and North Africa, the Arab Africa, if you want, comes against it with all of those with Gomer, the house of Tagarma, and all his bands. The house of Tagarma is believed to be Turkey, and all his bands as the, 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 the Stan countries, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, and all of those Stan countries. So we're told this whole confederacy starts to come toward the fig tree nation. And of course we read in Revelation 16 how the river Euphrates dries up from 1917 and three unclean spirits like frogs go out into communism. We have looked at it into Romanism and the European Union. And of course the third one then was into Islam. Now, when Russia, and they all confederate together, do you know even at this minute, Russia and China for years, and recently all of the stand countries are now doing joint military exercises. They have been for a few years, but especially the stand states. They're now incorporated in, that's the Togarma and all of his bands, and they are now doing what's known as the Shanghai Cooperation, where they're having joint military exercises together. So there is a lot of heating up around the Middle East. We look at the trouble. We look at the turmoil that we have seen even in Jerusalem at the last days. The United States resolution out of all the countries of the United Nations. Uh, the United Nations, sorry, yeah. Out of all the countries of the United Nations and one of their resolutions to divide the land of Israel, only nine, only nine were against dividing the land of Israel and setting up a Palestinian state. So there's going to be trouble everywhere. Benjamin Netanyahu, that's a, that's a big name, isn't it? Benjamin Netanyahu, he is the prime minister or the president of Israel, of the Israeli state. And he says that there's no way they're going to divide it. He'd rather use his nukes first. Now you watch this space to see the patchwork quilt has been put on. A plaster has been there and fixed. And friends, you watch to see what happens in the Middle East. And watch all the countries around about. This is a smokescreen for what is really going to take place. We're told when Russia and the rest start to come together. And Russia are the ones who, give, who are giving and have given Iran their nuclear capabilities. Persia. Russia's coming with Persia. That's who's giving them their nuclear capabilities. Russia has a major seaport and a naval base in Syria. They don't want America and Britain to move into Syria, nor the United Nations. They're against that also. It's a whole powder keg about to explode and about to go off. And people are trying to put their fingers in the dike, but another hole keeps on popping up. The word of God tells us in Ezekiel 38, that Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions thereof shall say, Art thou come to take a spoil? That's Great Britain and the Commonwealth of Nations, the United States. Do you know there was a, what's, there was a naval fleet heading home from the, to the United States after doing their whole tour for months just this week? And they were turned around at Gibraltar and sent back into the Middle East, sent back to the Straits of Gibraltar and right in off the coast 
of, of uh, Gaza. And they're sitting there tonight. And the British naval fleets with other naval fleets have now gathered in the Suez Canal and up the Straits of Hormuz because they're ready to attack Iran. That's a, tonight as we sit here. Uh, everything's going like a powder keg. It is the blue touch paper. And because of a little state called Israel, the Israelite state, that little piece of land, that is God's land. God owns that land. So the first sign was the fig tree. The second sign the Lord Jesus gives us is then found in Matthew chapter 24. And let your eye run down to verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice what he says. What it was like in Noah's day, when I return, that's what it'll be like on earth again. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were, notice, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You know the only thing that is secret about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? The day and the hour. The day and the hour. Here is another great event that's going to happen. Here's another cataclysmic thing that will happen in the earth for the coming of the Lord. Notice the Lord says it was as it were in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. The second coming and the world events at the second coming, or the last days, shows the degeneracy of humankind. Let me say it again. It shows there will be a degeneracy of humankind. The word degenerate in the, in the dictionary simply means, notice this, having declined in physical or moral qualities. Having declined in physical or moral qualities. It also means to be sexually deviant and to become and grow worse. Let me say it again. To become sexually deviant and to become or grow worse. Now you look at our news. You look at the magazine. I don't buy magazines and newspapers, but you look at them. Even on the front covers. Sure you'd be embarrassed to go, to, to go and lift one to pay for it nowadays. You look and you have your children. I turn my children's face the other way when we get round those racks. And you look even on billboards. You look at newspaper clippings. You look at all the things that they're showing. You look at our city with gay pride. Not just let's hide and let's keep our business to ourselves, but pride. Gay pride. Men and women cavorting on carnivals going up our cities and our streets in the nude naked with hardly a stitch on them in front of men, women and children unashamed. And all the Christians say, well, I'll just stay away and we'll not say anything because then we're homophobic. You know something? You know what the word homophobic is? It's to make those people like you and like me who are heterosexual feel guilty. That's all that is. Well, I don't feel guilty. I'm not homophobic. I don't wish anybody any harm. But I'm sure not going to stand here and say it's normal and it's natural for two men to be together. I'm not going to stand here and say it's too ma- or okay for two men or two women to be together. It's an abomination unto the Lord. And it's a degeneration in our society. And it's against everything that is natural. I'll get in trouble for that. Don't care. Here we have a sexual deviancy to become and to grow worse and moral qualities to go down. Moral qualities. You look at the old people that are afraid to go out at night. They're afraid to look out their window. That's all you hear now. is old people being beaten up and robbed in their homes. That's all you hear everywhere you go, on the news all the time. It's all the old people are being picked on and beaten up in their homes. 
And they're afraid, they're bolting their doors, they're making sure that they're well shut in. They're afraid of anybody coming to the house at night to visit them in case it's somebody that could do them harm. What sort of a society are we living in? We look at even people who want to go into animal cruelty and all the things that they do. They have no heart, no morals anymore. Children, well sure you can't even, you're not even allowed to smack your children now or you're going to be brought to court. Well, mine haven't done it yet. Because I do. I smack my children if they need it. Saying that, I haven't smacked them in about a year and a half. I haven't needed it. <laughs> Listen, see, if you spare the rod, you'll spoil your child. You'll spoil your child. Here we have a degenerate society when children are making it that we cannot chastise them. I had a a family member come to my house one time and his child was going ballistic. I'd never seen the like of it hardly in my life. And they turned around and he says to me, where's your naughty step? I says, in the end of my shoe. That's it. That's the truth. <laughs> Where's your naughty step? At the end of my shoe. There's it. It's a size nine. <laughs> I might have to preach after that. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, the Lord Jesus says. Our nation has become so degenerate and so far away from God There's no hope for it left but in Christ our Lord. So that's how we look at what the days of Noah were like just to try and strengthen this. Genesis chapter 6 tells us about the Lord coming to Noah telling him to build an ark. Notice what it says in verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Notice what God saw. And notice this, it doesn't say, And Noah saw, so went about preaching. Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he saw it. But it doesn't matter what man sees, it's what God sees. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I want to open this word great for you. Just go a little sidetrack here for a moment. See this word great. It's a a Hebrew word, rab. And it gives the idea of abundance, of plentiful, running over, much and much more. But let me strengthen it because there's other words for great. For example, Psalm 48, please. Psalm 48. Uh, Turn to it if you have your Bible there, please. Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king. There's great three times. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. The great king, in verse 2. The three words mean something different. Let me just break this down for you for a moment. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Psalm 48 and verse 1. The word great here is the word gadol. And it gives the idea that you are great in any sense and in every way. Great in any sense and in every way. Great is the Lord. In other words, the Lord is great in any sense. And the Lord is great in every way. He is greater than your fears. He is greater than your worries. He is greater than your problems. He is greater than your anxieties. He is greater than all your circumstances. He is greater than your troubles. And he is greater than your sin and than your sicknesses. That's the idea. No matter what you bring before God... Our God is great in any sense and in every single way. Greater than all. 
greater than everything and greater than anyone. Now that's the idea. So here the psalmist is looking at him. And you think this is an idea here. It gives a lovely picture of Christ and his kingdom. When he comes to rule and reign. When we will go and worship him. We will cry great is the Lord. And greatly do be praised. In the city of our God. In the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful first situation. The joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king? I was going to sing it there, but I'm afraid of somebody not listening to it online. Turn me off. Here we have God as great in any sense and in every way. What are you facing tonight? Our God is greater. Our God is greater. It means that he is greater than your sin, for he paid the debt that we could not pay. So he's greater than you. See, when you need someone that's greater and bigger than you to step in, he's greater and bigger than you. See, when you say, Lord, I need someone bigger than me to help me to take this off me, he is great in every sense and in every way. There's nothing too difficult for him. He is more than able to rescue you and to deliver you from all your fears. He healed the leper. He cast out the devil. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak. For he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has fled on him the iniquity of us all. He is the one who bore your sin and he bore your shame and he bore our diseases. He is great in every sense and he is great in every way. His name is great. His name is great. We're told that wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's greater than all our worries. He's greater than death itself. He's greater than the grave. He's greater than the tomb that he was led in. He is greater than the very clutches of the last enemy to be defeated, which is death. For Christ rose on the third day. He is great. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And in the words of Paul, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That is our Lord. He is great, and he's greatly to be praised. Job 33 and verse 12, Job cries, God is greater than man. See, whenever you go to stand before your boss, or you go to stand before the doctor, or you go to stand before someone that you're afraid of, your God is greater than man. He's greater than princes. He's greater than prophets. He's greater than priests. He's greater than any Pope of Rome or even the Queen on the throne. He is greater. He's greater than the President of the United States of America. And he's greater than the Prime Minister in Downing Street. And he's greater than all the politicians up in Toy Town here in Stormont. He's greater. He's greater. And that's our hope tonight. A great God to come and rescue us and save us from all of our sin. Our God is great in any sense and in every way for every situation and in everything. Let me get my breath. He's a great God. That's what the word Gadol means. No matter what way you look at him, he's great. He's great. He's great in his love. He says, greater love than no man than this. And a man laid down his life for his friends. And he died on the cross of Calvary for you. He's great in his wisdom. Solomon, the man full of wisdom. You know what he said? A greater than Solomon is here. He's greater than the temple that was torn down. He says, a greater than the temple is here. And he's greater than Jonah, the prophet. He says, for a greater than Jonah is here. 
Christ stands in the midst. He's greater than all. And this same Jesus is going to break the skies. And this same Jesus is going to return again. And this same Jesus is going to gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. And we will be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye to meet the Lord in the air. And we will return again and rule and reign with Christ from the city of Jerusalem. He's a great God and a great Savior. He's great in any sense. And he's great in every way. You know how great he is? He's that great that when he made a promise to Father Abraham, Hebrews 13 and verse 6 says, When God made a promise to Abraham, he could swear by no greater. So he swore by himself. He swore by himself. And yet God comes into covenant promise with you and I. Son dies on a cross for us to redeem us back to himself. He sheds his blood to cleanse us from all our sin. He carries away our sin from as far as the east is from the west. So far he removed our transgressions from us. And he carries our diseases and our sickness. By his stripes we are healed. And yet, friend, brother, sister, you and I, in our own being, we turn from him and we break his commandment every single day. And our part of the covenant is fraught and fettered. But he remains the same. He remains faithful. See, when he swears by none other, he swore by himself. His name is above every other name. And he's placed all his word above his name. That's our God. That's who you serve tonight. That's who we love tonight. That's who's returning in power and glory. The Lord Jesus Christ. Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised. The word here for greatly to be praised is the word men owed. It gives the idea of something that is passionate. It gives the idea of something that is vehement. It gives the idea, actually, comes from a root word. You know when you go to your fire, and you know it's all lit under, but the top layer of your fire, the embers have loosened a bit, and it's become dead and lifeless and cold at the top, but you know there's life underneath. So you get the poker, or the rake as we would call it, and you, you get the poker and you rake it all out, and you're raking the fire up, and the embers start to turn around, and you see the heat coming, you see the redness coming, you see the amber glow coming, you see the redness starting to come as it starts to lift up and starts to burn. And the more you rake it, the more you see the redness that's underneath, and it starts to burn with fiery passion. That's the idea of your praise should be to him and mine. As great as the Lord, he's greatly to be praised. Our praise should be with passion and vehemently praised should be our God. Do you praise him with eminence in the heart? Praise him with passion in your heart. I wonder what you'll be like when you get around the throne. I'm sure you'll sing then. I'm sure you'll worship then. Those two greats are different than the great that we're reading about. Those two greats actually give a different meaning. Verse 2 says, Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. The word great here is Rab, the same as the Lord saw that the wickedness was great in the earth. The word Rab means abundance comes from a root word to increase. comes from a word meaning to fold by the ten of thousand. Or myriad. Of the myriad. The myriad. Vast increasing numbers. In other words, society, the wickedness that was in Noah's day was increasing so fast. Men didn't know what to do. There's no way they could get out of it. And it was increasing by the multiplied thousands of degrees to degeneracy. Everywhere they looked, the society was breaking down, falling apart, and sin was ravishing and taking lives. And the devil had come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that was the earth in the days of Noah. Myriads and myriads of men and women. They were cavorting, marrying and giving in marriage. The idea is they were sleeping around with everyone. They thought nothing 
their pornographic ways. God saw that the wickedness of man was great. That's what he saw. God saw that. God saw that. And Jesus said, when I return, that's what I'll be like. Now you look at the news and you tell me, is that not our society? Is that not where we have fallen? This great nation, especially in the West. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Notice what it says, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 11, the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them and behold I will destroy them the earth he took the wicked away he didn't take the righteous away notice that God says look at this place you know the wonderful thing in all of this mayhem and all of this evil and all of this degeneracy and all of this corruption and wickedness and violence and evil thoughts and imaginations of everybody's hearts in the face of a great cataclysmic judgment to come upon the earth, three words were given to Noah that we can ring, have ring true in our ears tonight. It says, Noah found grace. Noah found grace. And when Christ returns, there's no more grace. But while you're here tonight, you can find grace. Guilty, vile and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can there be. Hallelujah. What a saviour. You can find grace tonight at the foot of the cross. And this is the world we live in. Just as mentioned in Matthew 24 and mentioned also in Matthew, sorry, Matthew 24 and Genesis chapter 6. Turn with me, please, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, please. I want to show you what the Bible says about today. What the Bible says today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also, knowing the days we're living in. Want you to know the days, Timothy. Want you to know the days, brother. He wants you to know the days, sister. And know this also, that in the notice, the last days. The last days, perilous times shall come. Notice here is society. Let's read it. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. In other words, they cannot control their passions. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traity, hairy, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He says, from such turn away. Having a form of godliness. You see the men in the big robes? Their Dagon fish meter hats. And all looks godly. He says, turn away from it. It's Babylon. It's Babylon. That goes for the two sides of the divide, by the way. It's Babylon. Second Timothy chapter 4, please. Notice what Paul says. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now notice this. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See the Greek construction there. You think there's two gods there, wouldn't you? That's not what it means. The Greek construction means, I charge the earth before our God, even Jesus Christ. That's what it means. But he 
is God in flesh. Here Paul is reaffirming the deity of the Savior, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, defending it against the heresies of his day. In other words, the cult of Caesar. I've done a three or four part series in the imperialism of Christianity and the cult of Caesar. You can download it if you want from the website. And it was to do with Caesar was to be worshipped as God. And it went from Caesar into the papal system. That was the, 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 the deadly wound and then it being healed, being brought out of the papal system. And the cult of Caesar, the worship of him as God on earth or the son of God on earth becomes to the vicar of Christ and so on. And that's where that comes from. And they were saying that Jesus Christ, you can't call him Lord and you can't call him God because Caesar is God and Lord in the earth. That's why they died for the first 300 years. They were taken and they were put to the cross. They were thrown to the lions. They were trailed down steps that their heads would bust open and their brains would roll down the steps off them. They were burnt out of stake. They were mutilated and cut into pieces. They were put on galley ships all because they would not denounce Christ and elevate the name of Caesar. Happened as well in the Protestant Reformation. Over 60 million of them. The cult of Caesar was in Paul's day and denied the deity of Christ in his rightful place of worship. He replaced Christ. He was anti-Christ. Antichrist also means those who deny the deity of Christ and anything that replaces Christ as well as being opposed to Christ. And I trust and pray that there's nothing even in our lives that takes the place of Christ. Think about that. It says that our Lord will come who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I'm going to round this up now and we're going to finish. I'm going to do part 12 and that will be the final part next week in the Lord's will. And that will be the very final part. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing on his kingdom. See the term here of our Lord Jesus, God who is coming in person of Christ, who shall judge. See the word shall. It's a Greek word mellow. Gives the idea who is about to do something. Someone is about to do something. He says, Christ is about to come. And in the last days, he says, you better be ready. For Christ is coming. That's the way it reads. Gives the idea of someone about to do something or at the point of doing something. He shall judge the quick, the living and the dead. Listen to Acts 17 and 31. God hath appointed a day in the which he shall judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. There's a day coming when you will stand before God. The living and the dead. And where do we find that? We find that in 1 Thessalonians 4. We look at it in greater detail next week. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Dead and Donna Cloney who have died in Christ. And all around the countryside, all the graves. I was told by a fellow that he was at a preacher. And this preacher says that not even a blade of grass would move. Oh? Where did you read that? Where did the Bible tell you that? It'll be so secret, not even a blade of grass will move and we'll be caught away. Preacher once said to me, our fellow once says to me, he says, you know, see when the Lord returns, nobody will see the dead rising first. I says, well, they're not. He says, no. I says, where did you read that? Where did you read it? For the Bible says, there will be a voice, a shout, and a trump of God. And the heavens will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. I'll finish with this. Look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. 
The Lord's coming to judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. That's his epiphania. Remember, his epiphania is the brightness of his splendor, his manifestation. And then he says to Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will after their own lusts. Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? Do you know the way this is written in the Greek New Testament? It means preach the whole counsel of God, Timothy. Don't just preach one part of it. Preach it all. And he says, there's going to come a time at the end days when people are going to say, don't mention heaven and don't mention hell and don't mention the blood and don't mention salvation and don't mention that I need to straighten up my life and don't mention my sin in my life and don't mention the second coming and don't mention that Christ is coming in power and glory and don't be telling me that I must be born again. He says, don't, for whatever you do, Timothy, don't be telling fanciful fairy tales and stories and don't be taking Reader's Digest or the Mr. Men books and telling people they're having a nice day. He says, preach them the word. Preach the word. You know why you need to preach the word? When you go to chapter 4 and verse 1, Because Christ is coming to judge the living who's alive on the earth and the dead will be judged at his appearing in his kingdom. Are you saved? Are you blood washed? Are you born again of the spirit? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I trust you are tonight. trust you are. I got sidetracked there when I was talking about the greats. So I'm going to go back and do one more week. And that'll do is 12 is a good number anyway. That's the number of God's divine judgment or government. And uh, 12 will be a good number to stop at. We'll talk about the resurrection next week. No, we'll talk about the manifestation of the sons of God at the resurrection. When God's going to change our bodies, we'll talk about that more. And you'll see how Isaiah talks about the earth spewing out or spitting out or, or shooting out the bodies at the coming of Christ like a magnet lifting pins of a floor. Christ returns those who have died in him. I trust you're ready for if you were to die tonight. Be launched out into eternity. When you stand before God, you'll stand in your sin. For as a tree falleth, there it lies. And that's how you stand as you fall. As you die. I'm puffed out. (laughs) God bless us tonight. The Lord bless us with all our hearts.